You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. So hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Melissa Zalouf and you're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing and of course playing mobile games. Today I'm here with Josh Burns, who's Senior Director of Business Development at Fun Plus, um, or as some might know him, DJ1212. Um, more on that in a, in a bit. Today, we're going to be discussing the value of IPs, their longevity, and whether it's better to sustain older IPs or just create your own. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Yes, me too. Um, let's start with the most interesting part of the whole the whole episode, um, which is your brief <laughs> but illustrious career as a DJ. Um, where apparently you even opened for some big names like Run DMC. Um, so m- most important question is, what? how is the, the podcast jingle? Um, <laughs> and do you have any recommendations on how we can improve it? Yeah, this is funny. It, I'm n- something uh, that's never, hasn't come up in a long time, but yes. Mm. We my- do our research. <laughs> apparently, yes. So yeah, it, it is true. It is a true story. Um, it used to be my my money money making endeavor during uh college uh i was a, a dj and actually even before that um so i still have <clears throat> this is in the pre pre uh, digital music days so i still have mm-hmm. a lot of my music stored away here vinyl records <laughs> much, to my, much to my uh my family's dismay mm-hmm. one day i'll probably get rid of it but yes it is true i i have opened for some big names but i should clarify that most of the time it was after their 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 prime so um it's uh, fair you, can, you, you take the win that's the that's the context that's that's left out but yes that is uh in fact a true true fact cool um and uh how how so now explain to us how you got from from that um to to gaming no i mean maybe it's not such a such a drastic jump but tell us a little bit about your your background your journey yeah so i i uh, i came into gaming uh, by accident so my um, prior to coming into gaming industry, I was a, a market researcher. I made surveys, um, analyzed mm. data, surveys, not, and not, presented the data. Not as simple as you'd think. A good, survey, <laughs> exactly. a good survey is an art. Yes, I see lots of not good surveys, and my I have flashbacks mm. to my old my old career. But um, yeah, I, I came back to where I'm located now in in uh, near San Francisco, and I just looking for a job. I knew I could make surveys and I know knew most big companies needed people to do that. And I, uh, I ended up at electronic arts, uh, here in the, in the headquarters in the Bay area, uh, making mm-hmm. surveys and doing research for, uh, their casual gaming, casual web games. I should clarify since the, <laughs> again, I'm older. So this is before <laughs> the iPhone or before <laughs> games on Facebook. Uh, so I ended up there um, doing research and sort of evolved from, uh, from that into doing product management and some data, some analyst work as the industry, the game making, uh, sort of methodology for our industry shifted from being heavily, you know, just purely creative focus to, you know, using a lot more data, uh, to drive decision making. Mm. So that was around, I was sort of ended up there by accident around the time that the iPhone Google, Google, uh, an Android and, you know, games on Facebook sort of launched. 
Uh, mm. So it was an exciting time in the industry. And now I'm here uh, almost, I think, 15-ish years later, still still in it. So it's a, it's a in very it. interesting industry. And um, uh, yeah, it still continues to be, even though it's a very different time versus 15 years ago. Yes. I think it's also because it, it, it keeps changing, right? Um, but tell us, so today you're, you're um, Senior Director for Business Development at FunPlus. Tell us about that role. Um, what's, uh, tell us about also about FunPlus um, and, and about yeah. what you do there. Yeah, so I, I joined FunPlus um, uh, almost a year ago. Uh, I'm based here in the Bay Area, kind of the, the, man, the man near a lot of the, the HQs for our partners, um, for you know, uh, store partners like Apple and Google, a lot of our marketing mm. partners. Um, like, you know, uh, Iron Source and others. Um, and like we'll touch on later, I'm also working uh, closely with our partners around two uh, external IP games that we're working on. So, you know, Fun Plus is a very truly global company. Um, it's uh, our global headquarters in Switzerland. So most of my sort of Western uh, market colleagues are in a small, small village outside of Zurich, which is our global oh, headquarters. Wow. Yeah. Not, that that feels to, a little unusual. Yeah, you you have to go visit. That's uh, that's it. I haven't yeah. been yet. Is but... it good, good, good skiing? Good, good fondue? Is it fondue? I don't, uh, what I else? Think so. What else is there? Uh, you're, probably, you're probably more knowledgeable than than I am. I feel <laughs> so like I have just, a... I've just offended a bunch of Swiss people, but yes, continue. <laughs> so we have a uh, we have a few uh, some people there. We have a you know a team in Barcelona that supports um, our core studios which are all based in china uh so we're around two thousand people wow, uh, i like to you. kind of describe we've kind of described fun plus as one of the largest kind of private mobile gaming companies that a lot of people haven't heard of or aren't really familiar with um mm. we're trying to trying to change that uh by growing our team in the west um but uh you know i think most recently we you know we were in the you know top say 20 to 25 um, uh, mobile publishers by worldwide and at purchase revenue across all mm. verticals, not just gaming. Um, so we have three core titles um, on mobile that are uh, 1 billion plus lifetime revenue um, in the strategy game category, um, which is, you know, where we've been really focused historically. I think part of the, the focus in terms of growing our global brand, uh, or in addition to our global brand, is you know, diversification. So looking at mm. how do we expand to different genres? How do we just expand to different platforms? Um, uh, that kind of stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of different initiatives and working with some external IP as part of that. We have uh, a studio uh, that's focused on building uh, AAA console games. Um, so we're very much uh, focused on, on diversification and growth. So it's a very very exciting time to be at the company and um you know it's it's a exciting but challenging time in the industry so uh mm. yeah looking forward to seeing what we're what we're <laughs> able to uh to do we have a lot of exciting games uh in development and, and close to being launched so you um you've mentioned ip a couple of times and, and it is it is what we're here to discuss um so uh, before kind of your your current role um how have you sort of um, worked with different IPs? What are some of the IPs you've worked with um, that really sort of like produced results or that really have stood out in your in your memory? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, 
in the past, you know, uh, after EA, I worked at a company called Six Ways, which were focused on social gaming, um, which is just basically means games on Facebook, uh, Canvas on Facebook on web. Um, you know, what I saw there was early on a lot of the game, early on in the platform when it was very, you know, open, there wasn't a lot of, everything was original IP. Um, mm. And then as the platform kind of got more competitive and started to mature, we started seeing a lot of more games using external IPs. We ourselves work with a lot of, uh, for six days, we were a publisher. So we um, we collaborated with, with companies who were making the games and focus on the distribution. Uh, we started to, you know, look at a lot of different, um, uh, seeing a lot of IP games because it's a way to create, um, you know, one marketing efficiency yeah. when you're, uh, you know, showing, uh, creatives, you know, you're going to get much better, uh, click, click through rates, conversion rates, mm-hmm. usually for an IP versus sort of a generic, a generic version. And then the other one is, you know, IPs come with a built-in audience. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's obviously very attractive in a mature market. Um, so we saw a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of games that were trying to use that to create efficiency. So, you know, I think in terms of what I worked on, I saw, you know, a very diverse spectrum because we were a publisher. So we had a very high volume of products coming through. We worked on anything from, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, to, uh, you know, some games with, uh, we actually ourselves, we tried to make a game around Kobe Bryant. Uh, we did some TV wow. shows, like extreme makeover home edition. Um, you know, it's, I think some of, some of the stuff that we worked on was more thoughtful than others in terms of how it integrated the IP, um, or, or, or didn't, or was just kind of like a quick, a uh, quick way to, to grow an audience. And I think at that time, one key thing is, I, the IP holders didn't necessarily see these games as ways to generate revenue like they do now. Mm. Um, where you look at Marvel or Disney or all these companies have, you know, gaming people specifically focus on game licensing because it's a huge mm-hmm. part of their revenue business. At that time, you know, it was more of a you were you were working with a marketing team at right. you know some TV network. Uh, and it was just basically a vehicle to, you know, engage their audience. Um, mm-hmm. It was never sort of a revenue uh, focus. So from there, you know, focusing more on, we got, we get to the mobile game market where I think things started out similarly, um, but quickly you had some very successful games. Uh, the one I always remember is the Simpsons uh, game by EA, where I think that was really one of the earliest games where uh, licensed games where they were like, what? you know, the IP holders were like, wow, you know, these games can, can generate very significant revenue. Um, so then there's a lot of, you know, I think we went through a period of oversaturation where there was just too many games, IP games from, you know, even around a single, single IPs. Um, and, you know, now we're in the, the sort of later stage of the market where the companies are much more thoughtful about how many games they license their IP to, you know, when those are coming out this kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I've worked on quite a diversity, uh, diverse spectrum, and even some that are, you know, were sort of very popular IPs that were original, like Kingdoms of Camelot was one of our partners. Uh, we worked with Kabam at Six Waves, which started as a, as a Facebook game IP, and mm-hmm. that was one of the early successes on mobile. Um, I think now it's, now it's uh, less so that fact. But um, yeah, it's a quite, quite a wide spectrum. And Kind of seen a lot of uh, 
a lot of what you shouldn't do as well as right. you know, things about what so, what so either to, so maybe give us the other side of the coin um how what does the process of kind of like integrating ip successfully into a game look like um what yeah. are some of the sort of like risks and pitfalls and how do you avoid them yeah so you know i think you know today's in the landscape today which is you know very competitive and even just in the recent past i think if we go back historically like er, really early on mobile where you know you had a lot of premium games was kind of a model you'd say you i think we saw a lot of oh i have a you know some type of uh game like an arcade type game and you know hey this will work really well with spider-man or you know ninja turtles and it was kind of then people would create like a sort of reskin and it was you know at that point the games weren't super you know robust anyway but a lot of it was just uh kind of like the old days of feature phone gaming where you maybe would just reskin a game with a with ip and i think you know that sort of leads into what what uh, doesn't work i think in these days is you know that uh you have to really be thoughtful about how you integrating the ip into the game I think from an IP selection, you really want to focus on IPs that have both a a wide reach in terms of awareness, but I think honestly, most importantly, have like a really deep uh, fan base that's super engaged. And what I mean by that is... Oh yeah, no, go on. You're going to answer my next question. (laughs) What I mean by that is, uh, you know, it's great for something to be familiar, but you know, you're building a game, you're investing millions of dollars into that, you know, these licenses are not inexpensive. Marketing a game is not inexpensive. So you really need to both attract players, but also keep them engaged and retain them and engage them for, you know, years. Uh, And then obviously monetize them to have the economics make sense. So I think, you know, you're looking at IPs, uh, you know, like Marvel or Star Wars, you know, Harry Potter, uh, these kind of things where you have these sort of very rabid fan bases that, you know, are super engaged with the IPs, um, you know, versus something that maybe everyone's heard of, but um, doesn't really have that strong affinity to. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, it can be hard to know what those are, but um, I think we see a lot of um, kind of new IPs. You know, I think there was a period where people were making games around maybe like new movies, or new TV mm-hmm. shows, and they were trying to sort of ride the wave of of uh, the launch of those. And that I think that just doesn't work. Uh, it's very difficult. The economics are not there to to do those type of uh, type of uh, projects um, mm-hmm. unless it's already an established IP. It's very difficult to um, to work with. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of you know working with them, um, I think the you know some of the challenges is you know, there's a lot of uh, approvals and obviously for these very high profile IPs that do have a super engaged fan base, they're very um, protective. Yeah, very protective. Um, You know, I've had some where we wanted to do some type of collaboration and they say, well, your, you know, your game isn't a fit with, you know, our target audience or our our goals for the IP because maybe it's, you know, has too much violence or whatever it might be. So, you know, the, the ones that people want are very particular. So even if you, you know, in this case, everyone does not have a price, uh, even mm-hmm. if you offer, you know, some really 
great business terms. If it's, there's not creative fit, um, you know, they're going to pass. And I think that ties into working with them on an ongoing basis. And in the sense that, uh, you know, you, you do have constraints, um, you know, if it's a character based IP, the characters look a certain way, Mm -hmm. they behave a certain way, you know, if it's, um, you know, a superhero or a, um, movie ip or book ip there's you know there's a ton of content already out there you can't contradict that um Mm -hmm. so i think from that perspective it means you you have to be super knowledgeable about the ip but it just adds additional time realistically to your development um as well as your marketing um but your development because you need to the characters behaviors in the game and what they can do and can't do is needs to align with with the ip's history um and then, you know, on the marketing side, uh, again, you can't just stick in a character and have them do whatever you want to do that you think people might click on if it doesn't make sense in the context of that character. And I think for, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is for us as a company that's, you know, moves quickly, historically the development, it was, it was definitely a learning process to um, have to, you know, we have to slow down, we have to document things, get approvals. And you're working with, you know, you're working with partners that are, you know, very, very large companies. They don't mm-hmm. maybe move as fast as a, as a gaming, um, as we do in the gaming space. So I think that's, uh, you know, some, that's some of the, the challenges and things that, um, you know, people need to be aware of. And we've, we've, as some company just doing, uh, doing IP collaboration is, is something we've been getting better at as well. So it, I, I think I, I sort of have like two follow-up questions. The, the first is that you mentioned, um, you used the word affinity when you're talking about kind of like the engagement of a fan base. And I'm one, just curious if um, Matt Ball, um, don't know if you're familiar with him, writes a lot about kind of affinity uh, in the context of um, IP and, and Disney and franchises and and kind of like what's at the core of their success and and affinity is 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 the thing um so one curious if if you've um come across um his work on uh, talking about this specific thing and two which is kind of connected um is there a sort of time limit or a life of an ip um how long how long does an average i mean maybe this is unanswerable right but how long does the sort of affinity for a given ip last and how can you sort of predict that ahead of time when you're when you're making the partnership yeah so in the context uh it seems like of working with someone else's ip Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the timeline um you know that's that's a, a a a good question. I mean, I think my, my our goal is to find IPs that theoretically can sustain forever. Um, we, as a company, we look for even the the game original IP we create in house. We really, um, uh, you know, focus on stuff building one game and then continuing to build and evolve that game over time. I think for some of our original IPs. Um, you know, our oldest kind of main game, one of our oldest core core products is, you know, we're 10 years old. And I think if you looked at the game from when it launched to where it is now, it doesn't even look like the same game. Um, so, you know, we, we, I think we are picking IPs uh, to partner with that would behave similarly, um, where, 
you know, we think we believe that the sort of base of it is strong enough to build a game around that we could continue to uh, build on uh, indefinitely. Um, so I think our company is a little bit different around that, but I think in the landscape of today's market, we're based on the investment and marketing and development. Like you really should be targeting IPs that you think can sustain uh, indefinitely uh, in terms of your game. Obviously, you know, if you have a license, it's only me for a certain number of years, but if the game is successful, you should be able to continue to extend that, um, uh, you know, indefinitely, as long as it, the sort of business side makes sense. But I think the key is really anything you should be picking to invest in in today's market should be something you're confident can, you know, kind of live forever, theoretically. So looking uh, ahead then, um, how do you think IP is going to kind of like the value and the degree to which um, companies are looking to leverage uh, external IP or, or even right develop develop their own? How do you think that's going to change in sort of the coming year? And, and, and how has it changed right in 2022, let's say? It's close enough to the end of that year. Yeah, so I think... Um... You know, it's a good question. I think the one main topic that comes to mind that's a change in the market is is marketing. Um, so I think uh, as we maybe lose some signal around marketing um, from a sort of data perspective, um, I think, you know, one of the benefits of IPs is that it creates some efficiency. I think I touched on this earlier in our discussion, it creates efficiency on the marketing side, on the performance side. Um, but even in marketing in general, I think my, per, you know, my hypothesis is marketing a mobile game versus maybe a traditional sort of retail game. We're sort of maybe moving to towards uh, more marketing of a premium title for mobile games because of the signal loss. Um, and some of the changes there is that we need to sort of diversify our marketing mix um, and look at maybe more traditional ways to, to engage an audience. Um, uh, so I think an IP helps with that so that we, you know, are, it's more familiar to users. Um, it creates more efficiency on the performance side. Um, people seeing something, they're seeing an ad for a game with, um, you know, uh, if it's Superman or, uh, you know, uh, a Marvel character, um, you know, they're more likely to click on it um, and maybe have more, more interest in the product. Um, so I think, I think that that's an interesting one. I think the challenge is that you have from a lot of IPs, you have kind of these like a sort of legacy product in the market um, where it's something that has scaled and is very successful um, if you, you know, you say like for Star Trek, you have, you have like the Scopely game or, um, you know, they also have the Marvel, uh, Marvel, uh, fighting game. Um, you know, even the things like the Simpsons tapped out, which has got to be, you know, ancient by now you have kind of these key products in the market around a lot of these IPs. Um, and you got to think about how can you, um, try and, um, try and attract users away from them. So that's one, that's a challenge that goes along with that from the IP perspective. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's just, it starts to be for us, you know, especially was something that we want to experiment with as a company. We have also brought IPs into our, um, 
our original IP games as like an integration. Uh, historically, we looked at that as a way to, you know, engage the audience that we have. What IPs are they, are players of our game currently interested in bringing those into the IP? And that was really focused on engagement and monetization um, as something new and exciting to, to, to engage within the game. Um, and then, you know, from there, we're evolving that to look at IP integrations in our original games as a way to uh, maybe attract new users who might not have been interested in our game previously, um, but with a, you know, character integration, um, like uh, some of the stuff that we've done um, in our, on our state of survival game, which is uh, sort of like a zombie theme. One of the, one natural fit was we added the characters from the walking dead TV show. <clears throat> then we also added the Joker uh, from the, from Batman IP um, and those were really the, <clears throat> something that we thought the, the user base would be interested in. Um, and then for our King of, King of Avalon, <clears throat> which is like a medieval theme, we yes. did a, a partnership with Orlando Bloom, which was interesting in the sense that we, <clears throat> we weren't licensing a character uh, of his from a movie. It was mm-hmm. actually him himself. Um, right. Interesting. And what we, yeah. And what we did is we, uh, you know, we made him a character you could unlock. Uh, so it was definitely focused on engagement and monetization, um, and uh, but then pushed hard around marketing as well. Um, we used him in, you know, video, video, uh, video assets, uh, static assets. Um, so that's a that's one where maybe we're bringing in new users to um, to uh, to our games and and for a couple of these IPs, you know, again when we talk about the marketing side, um, you know this. For us at, at scale, you know, we're operating at a very large scale. So we, you know, we're developing full live action, you know, ads uh, around these, some of these integrations. I think for our Walking Dead and Orlando Bloom, I think the ads actually won Clio Awards uh, for them. So like the quality bar for us is, and scale, what we're trying to do is very high. So we're investing a lot behind these, you know, IP uh, partnerships. And I think, you know, having to sort of blend those together is more compelling than maybe a, you know, a live action, you know, sort of generic, you know, advertisement. So, um, you know, I think the investment uh, scale in the market will be really high. And I think you have companies that have really been focused on the strategy for a long time, like a Scopely um, really focused around IPs and, you know, I think um, more companies might explore, um, explored as well especially as there's a lot more consolidation and you have kind of fewer bigger companies at the top end of the market um you know the investment to secure a lot of these partnerships is very high but you know the scale that we're operating at in terms of marketing and development budgets is is already really high um so it's just kind of a a calculus in terms of like is this additional cost going to be worth it uh in the end um for the success of our of our game. Mm. And uh, so we've talked quite a bit about um, sort of like external IP. Um, and and you've also talked a little bit about kind of like original IP. And here's maybe a silly question, hopefully not. What's the difference, right, between being able to say we've created kind of like original IP and we've created a really great game that lots of players play for many years? Like what, what, how do you, what's yeah. the difference between those two things? Yeah, I think it's, it's in a way, 
sort of the same, but also not necessarily. I think for us, we have created original IPs by creating a really great game that was able to, you know, sustain and, and scale. Um, so, you know, if you think of like our, um, you know, King of Avalon or, or State of Survival, especially State of Survival is our biggest title currently. Um, you know, that's an original IP. It has characters in it. Um, it has narrative. Uh, you know, we haven't explored um, kind of how we, uh, how that evolves maybe to something besides, uh, you know, our sort of live mobile game. We've made a kind of VR experience with, in, uh, with Meta um, for that, around that IP. So, you know, we have done some stuff, but, you know, I think at a very high level, like, you know, the vision of, of, uh, of our CEO is, is really around these uh, creation of these IP worlds. We've talked about sort of like internal, external IP um, challenges, um, kind of advantages, unique also advantages to kind of the specific uh, situation that I think mobile game or not, not just mobile, right, but game developers and companies find themselves in today. If you're, let's say, a mid-size studio, what would be your advice to them to start with trying to create original IP slash a really great game? Um, and I kind of liked what you said, which is that essentially kind of like really great original IP is like a graduate is like a really great game that's sort of graduated. Um, or is it a good idea to sort of start by looking for external IP because of the kind of, sh- yes, it adds sort of approvals, et cetera, but it, it also provides some shortcuts. What would be your your advice? Yeah, that's a, a really good question and and honestly a very complicated one. I think, you know, I sort of implied it from some of my previous comments, but so the flip side of these kind of really strong IPs that have a deep, you know, engaged audiences, but also very expensive. Um, and so I think there's definitely IP holders are have tried to become more flexible for middle mid tier to maybe indie studios to leverage their IPs. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you have to do pretty in meaningful sort of analysis around whether the economics are going to make sense. Usually what you're looking at is some type of, you know, upfront cost to license the IP and then a, you know, a revenue share, um, on the revenue for your game. Um, that's usually recoupable against that um, uh, that upfront upfront fee, uh, as well as maybe like a minimum marketing spend. Um, you know, because I think as I touched on earlier, early in the mobile market, a lot of the license holders really kind of, frankly, from my perspective, over license their games. So they maybe made a lot from these upfront fees, but then all the games kind of failed because there was you know great saturation around uh, single IP. Um, so that means they really are focused on big, fewer, bigger releases. Uh, you know, so I think from the creation of original IP, there's not really anything of great insight that I can share. I mean, I think you are looking to, you know, find an opportunity in the market based on whatever you see and are interested in, um, whether it's, you know, incremental innovation or maybe creating something, you know, totally new and different. Um, I think obviously, you know, the visual art style, uh, you know, you want to have strength and differentiation there. It's kind of table stakes at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But I think around collaboration with a 
you know, external IP, you know, there are, if you're a smaller, the benefit to being, you know, middle tier to smaller developer is the financial sort of goals and expectations are, are, you know, much different and more accessible versus, you know, if you're someone like fun plus, you know, uh, what, what a successful game looks like is, is quite, quite significant. So, you know, from that perspective, you could look at maybe some of the smaller IPs that um, do have a very engaged fan base um, that uh, you think would align well with the game, maybe the type of game you're making, um, but are more accessible financially. Maybe you can also get more. Um, we didn't really, I didn't touch on this a lot, but you know, maybe more promotion via the IP holder, um, promoting your game or aligning with some new uh, uh, experience around that IP in another medium, if it's you know TV or, or, or music or uh, movies. Um, you know, they might be smaller, their reach might be smaller, but you might be able to, you know, uh, collaborate better and get access to promotion for your game uh, as well. So I don't want to, I don't want to sort of dissuade people from looking at those smaller IPs um, when, you know, your business goals might be more aligned with, you know, um, uh, those middle tier IPs that also do have a really engaged fan base. So I think overall, it's a, you know, it's a good question that's, it really depends situation to situation basis, but um, you know, and then again, I think also you can look at what, you know, we've done and what a lot of companies do with, you know, an IP integration. So uh, I talked about this a bit at an event I was recently speaking at is like the benefit of the IP integration is even for some of the really big IPs, it's much more financially uh, accessible um, in terms of the cost structure to, you know, maybe get access to a great character uh, for three to six months that you can integrate into your game and, you know, market your game behind and monetize, use to monetize your game. So, you know, that's also something to me that I think has been a bit underutilized um, uh, but in the market is these sort of in-game integrations into your current IP. Um, you know, we see it a lot with <laughs> games like a Fortnite where you have these different character skins and, and content that you can unlock. Um but, you know, it's, you know, knowing the, the difference for the full game cost to license versus a single character for a, you know, a certain time period, it's much more feasible and honestly, like, pretty reasonable based on, I think, kind of the value that you can get. So that's another way that you could look at maybe aligning your original IP, uh, your new game launch with maybe an external IP is through like a specific character uh, integration. just realized I've muted myself. Um, well, you may not have perfectly answered the question, but I think this episode will hopefully give anyone who's considering it um, a lot more of the information they need to make a smart decision. So um, thank you very much, Josh, for being on the show today and for sharing all of your knowledge with us. And thank you, as always, everyone else for listening. Thank you so much for including me. I appreciate it. <laughs>